Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, welcome back to the OIS Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Salemi. The day after our last OIS, uh, on April 17th, AccuFocus received a great bit of news from the FDA. Uh, The agency approved the company's camera inlay, giving it the green light to begin selling the the inlay for uh, the treatment of or correction of presbyopia. Uh, AccuFocus had been waiting close to a year since an advisory panel uh, approved the device or recommended approval of the device last June. And uh, now it's uh, got the approval to go forward. So today we talked with Chairman and CEO Jim Mazo about uh, the past year and it's his conversations and the company's conversations with the FDA. And we also took a look forward to see uh, how AccuFocus will be positioning camera in the U.S. Uh, Jim, of course, is, uh, is a regular and valuable contributor, contributor to OIS, uh, moderating our anchor session at the end of the day uh, on April 16th. He uh, moderated our Masters of the Universe panel, which uh, included the heads of Alcon, AMO, Zeiss, and Valiant. Uh, Jim will look back at uh, this year's OIS and uh, gives a little sneak peek to what you can expect to hear at our OIS conference in Las Vegas coming up in November. So please enjoy this conversation. Okay. Hi, Jim. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Great to be back. Always love having a chance to talk to you. Great, great. Great to have you here. So you've had, uh, the reason you're here is you had a bit of great news. Uh, uh, Right uh, after OIS, the FDA uh, approved uh, camera and uh, the timing, was it was it meant, to, was the release of the news time to uh, askers, or was it just a, a fortunate coincidence? Well, I, I, don't, I don't believe in coincidences. Uh, the technical timeline that the FDA had with us was mid-May, but I think based on the just tremendous cooperative behavior we've had with the FDA over the, this whole course of getting approval, I think everyone knew how critical it is for the customers to be able to know about this technology, and the ASRS was a perfect medium. So I know uh, my team worked over the Easter break. I know the FDA team worked over the Easter break. So I think everybody did their best to ensure we had this approval uh, by the ASRS. Great. I didn't get over to the floor, but did you have? Uh, were you all set up for this and uh, ready to answer questions from physicians who were there? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the, my team here did a fabulous job. We actually had... Um, two different booths ready uh, for approval or not approval. Um, we had everything in uh, duplicate form. And so the timing came at one o'clock on Friday. Uh, the drop dead time was three o'clock Friday for us to be able to have everything in place. So the stars were aligned. So we were able to execute. And as many colleagues told me that I think we were the busiest booth on the floor for the whole ASCRS, and that includes the large companies as well. So we we couldn't have been more pleased. And again, I, I, I will tell you that I have to pay huge compliments to uh, to uh, Dr. Edelman, uh, Jeff Sharon, uh, the whole FDA team. Just throughout this whole process, worked with us to uh, to get us to this point. Uh, they were tough, rightfully so, um, but really was a very very cooperative spirit. And since I was involved in the Madufma 3 negotiations when I was chairman of Abimed, 
Um, you know, I knew what Dr. Sharon was trying to do to work with medical device companies. And I think we're a perfect shining example of cooperation between company and uh, the government. That's outstanding. And, and kudos to your team. You really had no idea up until one o'clock what was coming your way? Yeah, one o'clock Friday. That's a uh, that is the honest God truth. I was sitting in a ASRS uh, Foundation board meeting, and Nick Tarantino called me. I walked out of the meeting, and um, we were going to meet with indust- uh, the uh, industry at three, and people like yourself, and at four, and then uh, we had to have everything done by two o'clock. So it was to the last minute. That's terrific. So the the advisory panel voted last June, uh, and there was overwhelming support of its efficacy, though there were some questions uh, about safety. That vote came pretty close, uh, and a close vote on whether the benefits outweighed the risk. Tell me, what, what has, uh, what's transpired over the past uh, eight or nine months or so? What, what has the past, close to the past year, been like? Well, I think the, it's, it's been a lot of hard work by both sides, and I think it goes back to my point, a lot of discussion. Uh, and I think that's the big difference now. You know, um, Malvina and her team had a lot of meetings with my team, and I think they were clearly able to see the data. You know, a panel is an interesting exercise. We don't have enough time on a podcast to really explain a panel. But it really all depends on who's on the panel. Um, we really didn't have a refractive specialist on the panel. So a lot of the questions were around the procedural end of it. Which is right, but not as much on as much on the actual science behind it. And I think that's why we won the vote on benefits outweigh risks uh, because I think they clearly show that the data was there. Procedurally, we had some challenges, and that's why the open communication between the two groups helped, and that's what got us to where we are with the approval and the labeling was what we were looking for as well. And now we have this technology available for the physicians in the U.S. just like across the globe. Right. So, so where are we now? What What are you doing in the U.S.? Uh, where is this fitting into the, 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 the treatment offerings? Is this something that's presented merely as an alternative to, to contact lenses or glasses or other non-surgical means? Or, is, or does this fit into the more invasive uh, type of procedures? Actually, I think I like to look at it as a continuum of the demographics. If you know, I'm going to use very general, but tends to be very specific to the demographics that we all address. If you look at a contact lens wear, they tend to be about 18 to 35. You know, you've got ranges plus and minus. Um, you've got a LASIK where LASIK individuals is is the average age is about 37. And then you've got our cataract patient who's, you know, about 62 plus. So you really have a gap there from about that 40-year-old to that 60-year-old where the only medium today to a grand degree is glasses. Um, you know, and uh, we're all challenged by them. I know you wear them, but you wear them on a probably continuous basis. But most of us don't wear them on a continuous basis. So we have all these readers everywhere. Um, so... There, had, there really isn't a replacement other than I would sit there and tell you that the replacement is, you know, these frustrating pair of glasses that sit around in our bathrooms, on our hallways, in our offices. And so that's where it's fitting uh, because there isn't anything today from a surgical procedure to a grand degree that affects this age group of, uh, you know, 45 to 60-year-old. Yeah, I, I, I... 45, I'm turning 46 in, in June, and I, I do wear my glasses, and I'm just having, starting to have trouble reading 
with them on. So I'm doing. But you want me to set you up for a procedure on Monday? Yeah, we can do a podcast while I'm having it done. What do you think? I like that. I think think your your listeners would love to see that. I'm sure they would. (laughs) Let's make it happen. All right, I'll be I'll be flying out tomorrow. Uh, (laughs) Is this a, a private pay market, or do you have some sort of reimbursement strategy? No, this is a private pay. Uh, this is uh, coming out of the patient's pockets. Uh, but again, their glasses are coming out of their pockets and uh, their LASIK comes out of their pockets. Uh, uh, you know, there's going to be some co- small component of insurance, but this is a private pay and, and rightfully so. I don't see this as a reimbursed procedure. Um, the government is you know is not going to be paying for this and i and i completely understand and agree uh we are looking only for private pay and that's how it is across the globe too this isn't any different here in the united states everywhere we sell this in over 50 countries it's private pay we had a great discussion about private pay at oas Uh, are you going to talk to your buddy bill link about uh about this does this find its way into alfion's uh tool bag at all or is it a completely different no 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 uh you know we are uh which you did a great job by the way moderating you you if you don't if this uh podcast thing doesn't work out you'd be a great comedian you got a great sense of humor <laughs> um i would say no we are we we are hiring a sales force we've already hired a sales force we're going to go direct in the united states i've brought the likes of darren dixon and patrick Jacques over from uh, my days at amo and they had left amo and gone to some other places but we are going direct. Uh, this is a great opportunity for us in the United States. And then I know we want to talk about the inlay, but of course, outside the United States, we have C Mark on the IOL, which Nick Tarantino talked about at the OAS, and we just got approval for Australia. So this small aperture space, we're expanding not just in corneal implant, but outside the United States, we now have an IOL. That's terrific. Uh, in the the. Uh... Well, that, that you mentioned the aisle. What what is what is next for AccuFocus? Uh, what sort of? It's obviously ramping up to the commercial operations for this, but but where are you now with with the IOL? I know you have the CE mark. You got that last year. Uh, where are you with uh, the FDA uh, in, reg- in regards to that? Oh, we're, we're we're years away from bringing this technology to the U.S. Uh, you know, it's it's going to take again the same diligent work that we did with the inlay. I think we'll be a little more accelerated path simply because. Uh, we've learned about this technology. It's in a different medium. Ca- cataract, um, you know, IOLs are are somewhat are a standard. You know, the inlay is first of its kind, and and that's the thing that's most impressive. Is you know, usually first of its kind, it takes a while because after Doctor Doctor Edelman and her team approved it, and then went up to Bill Mizell, and that takes even a little more time, and simply because first of its kind should be treated that way. So. Uh, the inlay is first of its kind in the United States. Really excited. Uh, so where we're taking it is we're we're the small aperture company. Uh, we'll be able to take that 45 uh, plus all the way through outside the United States. In the United States, we'll take that 45 to 60 year old and bring the inlay. And, and is this something in Europe? This is being used uh, in conjunction with LASIK, right? Is that something that's done there? And is that something? If it is, is that something that would be done here? Um, we we do not have approval for. Um, uh, LASIK, our, our inlay is indicated uh, for near vision um, by extending the depth of focus in presbyopic patients. I want to talk about that. Who have an emetropic refraction of plus 5, uh, 0.5 diopters to a minus 0.75. In Europe, it's a little different labeling with regard to LASIK, but these are uh, there's a large group of emetropes out there that are uh, you know very capable and very ready to have this procedure. Every practitioner we've talked to, 
who is adopting this technology. And at the show, we were able to really get a lot going. Um, you know, they, they've got a lot of these patients waiting. Uh, they were waiting for this technology. So it's not going to be shy of patients walking in the door. There's a lot of patients with this condition, uh, with this labeling that we can attack. And, and, and I did want to add that depth of focus. You know, I think that was a key component of labeling too. You know, at the OIS, you heard a lot about depth of focus. And the, the inlay is getting the same um, approval. It's by calling it extending the depth of focus in presbyopic patients as we have in the intraocular lens. So the days when we created aspheric lens, intraocular lenses at AMO, and then, then you had accommodative and multifocals. And now the new category and where everybody's going is extended depth of focus because, you know, distance is critical. That's the safety factor. But not everybody can provide near and intermediate. So we're going all the way from near through to distance. So um, I'm really pleased with this labeling as well and being able to attract the patients uh, that we want. This, this is where I get the opportunity to ask stupid questions. How, how do you just define extended depth of focus? What, is that, what does that mean, really? Well, I, I, you know, again, I will tell you that I believe that extended depth of focus, and, and you heard, I don't know if you were at the breakfast, that Melvina and Jack Holliday are actually working on this uh, as we speak. But to me, it's, it's not compromising a near, intermediate, or distance. Um, right now, most of our technologies compromise one of those three. Um, and our goal is to not compromise that vision. Interesting. And, and just looking at the uh, the FDA approval, uh, there is you know a, a lot of language assigned to that. Who this is good for? Who this is not? And, and the the question of or the issue of dry eye came up several times. Warnings about not intended for patients who have cataract surgery or severe dry eye. It's mentioned dry eye a few times. Does this really underscore the the? The, the severity of the dry eye problem that seems to be getting a lot of more and more attention in ophthalmology is just just another indication of how uh, how pervasive dry eye is. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head here. I, I believe that dry eye is actually, if I would recommend that every procedure today, uh, an intraocular lens procedure, a LASIK procedure, that a, a proactive approach to measure person's dry eye, we will get better outcomes. Uh, and I don't think there's a physician uh, on the land that would not, would disagree with me. I think dry eye is still an underscored, underappreciated uh, problem that patients have. You know, the ocular environment is challenged today, both environmentally and physiologically. And I, I would, and I think you're seeing a lot of physicians now, before I did any surgical procedure, I would see what type of a dry eye environment I'm dealing with or an ocular environment and then deal with the dry eye and either, you know, prophylactically give a give an over-the-counter or if it's a critical nature, give a restasis. You, you bring them to that happy medium and then you do the procedure. And I truly believe all outcomes, not just with the inlay, all outcomes will be better. And Dr. Zaldivar, uh, Roger Zaldivar from Argentina, talks about this in his talks that we give on the inlay where he is using the AccuTarget HD to, to be able to measure that tear film he manages that tear film, then does the inlay, and his his outcomes are far better because he managed the problem that's consistent with all of us before he did our surgical procedure. Great. And, and going back to OIS, thank you for your kind words about the panel. That was a, a fun one to moderate, and we, we ran that on the podcast last week, so uh, Bill's a good sport. 
Uh, you did a, a great job as well, as always, with our anchor uh, panel, the, the, the end of the day one where we have, in this case, called them the Masters of the Universe up there. What was your, your takeaway from that panel? I was really struck by J. Michael Pearson's uh, um, offerings that, you know, basically suggesting that, look, for innovation, we're looking, we're going we're gonna to do what we can inside, but we're really looking to you folks in the audience to come up with the great ideas. Uh, what did you think of, of his discussion and what was your takeaway overall from OIS? Well, first off, uh, I've done the now, I think the Masters of the Universe uh, three or four times, and we're going to continue to make this a mainstay. I think anytime uh, you can get those type of people um, on the OIS panel, in fact, uh, a plug for the Vegas one, uh, Brent Saunders has already agreed, the new uh, CEO of the new Allergan. Um, it really is worth its ticket right there because how many times can you get the leaders of all these companies, as well as Bill, who's a leader really in the venture world, uh, sitting on stage? Um, so I first have to say it's it's just great, and I have a lot of fun with these guys. And we had some new ones. We had, as you said, uh, Mike Pearson um, from Valiant, and I had Ludwin Munz from, um, from uh, Zeiss. And last time I had, uh, you know, we had representation – uh, Ashley McAvoy from J&J. So we're, we're always adding to it with some consistency of Jeff George's and Murthy. So to answer your question directly, I, you know, I appreciated that Mike decided to come and uh, to meet with the group. It's the first time I really had a, a face-to-face interaction with him. Um, I think what it definitely shows is that companies are taking different approaches to, uh, to our space. Uh, he did make a mention, I think, in his introductory remarks prior to the Masters of the Universe panel, that ophthalmology still holds a very significant presence in what they're doing there because ophthalmology clearly has, you know, the unknowns. And we, you, you talked about dry eye, you talked about, you know, we've talked about presbyopia, you've obviously got glaucoma and ARMD. Um, so I think he was just saying that his vehicle to be able to grow Valiant is through acquisitions, where you heard, you know, Jeff George and Murthy talk uh, more of a complement of both. So I, I'm, and I wasn't surprised because we knew that, but I think it just, it talks to uh, the spirit of innovation and all these, uh, in this case, it was all gentlemen agreed that uh, I don't think you have to say it's the, uh, it has to come internally. I think you have a blend of a companies that do both internal and external, and you have one company who looks for external. My feeling on the OAS is uh, I think they're getting better and better. Um and what I like about them, actually, I think the less presentations and the more discussions, um, because you get these off-the-cuff type of uh, discussions. People think these are planned questions. They're not. Uh, as you know, you let a panel. Um, you know, you don't want to ever put anybody on the spot, but you got to make sure that the seat isn't too warm, uh, too cool underneath. You put a little heat there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say that what's turned for me, OIS, and why it continues to be just a tremendous program, and it's an all-day program, which is very rare to keep everybody in seats for all day, is you have, sure enough, some company new technology presentations, but you have these unbelievable panels, the one you led, the one I was privileged to lead, and I think then you get these individuals sitting in the room, and so I, again, uh, I think that um, Emmett, Gill, Bill, uh, yourself, Craig, have done a fantastic job. I'm pleased to be part of the committee that helps organize these, but it's the highlight, and and you know, and you, you you ask anybody, they come early now just for OIS. Great, I'm really happy to be working with you on it, and uh, look forward to that panel in Vegas. That already sounds like a winner, Jim. Thanks for taking the time. Congratulations on the news about camera again. 
Thank you very much. We're really pleased. It's very exciting to be in a first of its kind. And I appreciate the time, Tom, as always. Great. Take care. Thank you, Jim Mazo, for joining us a, a second time. Jim's the, uh, the third uh, member of the OIS podcast family to return uh, following uh, Bill Link and uh, Emmett Cunningham, of course, both co-chairs of OIS. So, Jim, thanks again for, for taking part. Thank you all for listening. Uh, tune in next week uh, for our next uh, tale of innovation. And uh, as Jim suggested in the podcast, uh, you've got something to look forward to with OIS at AAO in November. So uh, keep your uh, eyes peeled for information regarding that event. OIS is now accepting applications for presenting companies. Share your technology and clinical data with over 800 industry executives, investors, and key opinion-leading ophthalmologists. To be considered for the Ophthalmology Innovation Showcase, apply online at www.ois.net forward slash application.